Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain at my process. See, I've been here at Christ Memorial about a year and a half or so, which means I've preached somewhere in the neighborhood of 70-ish sermons, which means for 70-ish weeks I wake up at at 4 a.m., as I have shared before. Part of that is because I am just not a morning person, and that 8.15 service comes a little too early for me naturally, so I have to trick my body into thinking it's like lunchtime. Uh, by this service, I'm awake. I'm good to go. Uh, imagine if we had an evening service. My goodness, I'd be talking so fast, it'd be amazing. You'd have an entirely different preacher. Uh, but the world doesn't respect morning people, so I have to trick myself by waking up at 4 a.m. But there's another reason that I wake up so early. See, I wake up at 4 a.m. and I go out and I get my, my cup of coffee or two, sometimes three, and, and I sit down in front of a blank sheet of notebook paper, a blank notebook actually, and I just start writing out the sermon for the day. It's not that I haven't already written it. It's not that I haven't done work on it since the, or before that moment. No, I want to start essentially fresh. Whatever's in my mind, I just write it down and kind of work through. And after I'm done with that very rough draft, I then go back and look at my notes, look at what I wrote throughout the week. And I compare them and I, I want to see, you know, where did this come from? And I, I've got to bring this illustration and all those different things. Why do I do it that way? I tell you, this is years and years of kind of practice and figuring out what works for me. And I wish that wasn't my process. I wish that I could wake up a little later on Sunday morning. I wish I didn't have so much anxiety on Saturday night. But over time, I've learned that that is what works for me. Here's why. Even when I, when I do write my sermon, I write it in outline form. I never actually write it out in full manuscript. The words that I'm saying right now have never been put to paper. And here, the reason for that is I believe that the Holy Spirit allows for some interpretation. The Holy Spirit allows for um, some extra thoughts to be put in. If I wrote my entire manuscript, say on Thursday, and I never looked at it, maybe practiced it, that is cemented. It's there. It can't be changed. It would mess me up if I tried to change. But by doing it in an outline form, by doing it and rewriting it, what I'm doing is I'm essentially leaving room for the Holy Spirit. If God speaks to me between Thursday when I put the notebook away and then Sunday morning when I open it again, it gives me the chance to put that down. And even here in this moment, it can give me a chance to speak through the Holy Spirit. It's funny, that phrase, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Those of you who went to Christian schools uh, know that like high school dances, that's what they tell you, right? Leave room for the Holy Spirit. Don't be dancing too close now, right? But as kids, we're like, we knew better. We, Holy Spirit, he doesn't have like a size or shape. Like, it'd be fine, right? But this idea of leaving room for the Holy Spirit, I pray that's what we're able to do today. That we can leave room for the Holy Spirit to, to work in this room, that this Holy Spirit can work uh, online, wherever you may be, whenever you're watching this, that the Holy Spirit would, would focus our hearts and minds enough to hear him today. With that in mind, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance where we can come together and worship and praise. Lord, help us to praise you to see the blessings that you've put into our lives that we can then uh, reflect upon, that we can see as blessings. Rather than focusing on the negative, we can see you. 
Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. And I pray that it is your message. Lord, I, I submit myself to the Holy Spirit to, to speak and be uh, speaking in a powerful way here. And I pray that all who hear these words will be willing to do the same, to submit themselves to you, that you would speak to each and every one of us to hear exactly what we need to hear. We ask you to be known and be present to speak in this place. In your name, amen. Now, the reason I bring up that, that topic of the Holy Spirit is if you look at our readings for today, um, there's kind of a theme of the Holy Spirit, right? In our gospel reading, we have Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples, and he tells them, basically, I've told you a lot of things, and I have more things yet to tell you, but you're not ready for that yet. You're not ready to understand that. You're not ready to comprehend that. You're not really understanding what I'm saying now, but don't worry, because the Holy Spirit will open your, your, the eyes of your heart to better understand this. Now, we we give the disciples kind of a hard time sometimes. Like, we're like, disciples, how did you miss this? Like, he, Jesus is speaking pretty plainly here. But then there are times like today's gospel reading where he says, uh, I'm with you now, but shortly I won't be with you. But then after that, I will be with you again. And you can understand why the disciples are like, what is he going on about? What, is, what does that even mean? And they're so confused. And basically Jesus says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you in time. And then we look at our Revelation reading, uh, which doesn't explicitly talk about the Holy Spirit, but if you've spent any time in the book of Revelation, you know that, that it's, it's a very mysterious book, um, that, that there's a lot of undefined ideas in there, a lot of metaphors. Uh, quite frankly, we, like the disciples, probably as we read through the book of Revelation, would need to pray like God. Open the eyes of my heart so that I would understand what this is. I'm looking at seven lampposts. I don't know what that's all about. God, if you could, Holy Spirit, do, do me a favor here. Help me to understand this. But the reading that you didn't get to hear in this service, that was part of our service earlier, um, is Acts chapter 11. And the context for Acts 11 is it's the early church, like the, the super early church. Easter just happened. And they're all kind of gathered around and they're trying to figure out who they are, what they're about. They, they're pretty sure they, they want to follow Jesus, but what does it mean to follow Jesus when you, when you can no longer literally follow Jesus, right? A lot of them went from town to town to town listening to Jesus. Well, now they're shifting from literally following Jesus to more metaphorically, more spiritually following Jesus. And most of them recognized that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy from what we know as the Old Testament, right? To them, it was just scripture. There wasn't a New Testament yet. Um, but they, they saw him as the fulfillment, that he, that he was the Messiah that had been uh, prophesied to come. And so what they did is they said, okay, well, what we were doing before as, as Israelites, as Jewish people, I guess we just kind of keep doing that and kind of add in what Jesus taught us. And so a lot of them were still holding on to uh, the Levitical law, as we saw in the Torah, as we saw um, really through the book of Leviticus. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 11. Peter, um, it, it's come to light that he has had a meal with a number of Gentiles, which would have been seen as unclean, which was breaking Levitical law, right? And, and so he's confronted about this, and, and the religious leaders that are there, who are, who are Christians at this point, they are following what's called the way, um, they're like, well, this isn't good. You're supposed to be a leader of this new church, this new sect of Judaism, and yet you're breaking the law. That's not good, Peter. And his response is interesting because he doesn't necessarily argue with them. Instead, he, he says, 
I, w- I had a vision where, where there was this cloth, this like sheet that came down from the sky. And on it were all these animals, clean and unclean. It even mentions reptiles, which is interesting. Um, but if you've ever had alligator tail, oh, it's delicious. So it makes sense, which is more of an amphibian, but that, you know, whatever. So he sees this cloth come down with all these clean and unclean animals. And he hears this voice that says, eat. And his interpretation of this, it says it happens three times. His interpretation of this is it's essentially, um, maybe not necessarily fully overturning kosher law, but at least showing that, that there's some flexibility there, that, that perhaps the laws of old ha- had been changed, had been transformed, ha- had shifted a little bit. And for the people of those, that era, the, the Israelites of the time, that would have been like a big deal. Because this wasn't just a tradition that they had gathered over a couple years. This wasn't something like, well, that's the way we've always done it. No, they held this as part of their identity of faith for, for, for decades, centuries, even millennia. This was part of their relationship with God, was, was the idea of clean and unclean. And yet here's Peter saying, I, I saw this vision and it was from God and I, I don't fully understand it. And so they're struggling with this idea. But then he follows up with saying, and then what happened after I had this vision is these Gentiles appeared to me and God spoke to me and told me to go with them. And so I did. And and as I went with them, I started sharing uh, the news of Jesus. I started sharing about God. And and he actually describes a second Pentecost. Pentecost where, where the tongues of fire descended down upon the people, right, that we'll be celebrating here in a couple weeks in the modern church. He says that the Holy Spirit descended upon them, and they actually believed what he was sharing. And he has a line in there that I absolutely love. He says, who was I that I should stand in God's way? Who was I that I should stand in God's way? Basically what he's saying is, listen, I know that this appears to break the law that was set for us. I understand that this goes against what we believe the relationship between God and man is about. But, but if God's telling me to do this and God's doing these amazing things that I'm going to have to trust him. I've shared before my own calling story uh, where God, I didn't necessarily want to be a pastor. Uh, but God put multiple people in my life to kind of whisper that into my ear. And then there was a time on a hill where I was praying and, and God spoke to me. It was a whole thing. And my, my coming out of that, my thought was, this isn't my plan, but who am I to argue with God? Like, I'll lose that argument every single time. So who am I to stand in the way of God? Now, I bring all this up because, and I've talked about this in sermons before, Again, I've preached like 70 plus of them. Um, For Lutherans, we sometimes have a peculiar relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not that we don't believe in the Holy Spirit. We, of course, the the Trinity is is a core doctrine of who we are, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the full identity of God. That's important. That's crucial. That is foundational to who we are. And the Father, we understand, he created all things. He, He continues to work within creation and make sure that we are provided for. That's great. Jesus, well, that's, that's kind of the main guy, right? We're, we're Christians. We follow Christ. So we recognize him. We preach on him every week. We sing our songs about him. That's great too. But the Holy Spirit, we don't really know what to do with that one. See, here's the thing. When it comes to the Lutheran Church, especially the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, 
we're a very intelligent denomination. That's not bragging. Like, when it comes to who we are, we're very much academic-based. In order to become a pastor, um, it is the most rigorous academic process, really, of any denomination to become a pastor, to go through four years of undergrad and then four years of seminary. And I remember in my last year of seminary reading a news story about a kid from my hometown um, who had become a Baptist pastor at eight years old. And I was like, I've been in college for eight years. I'm in the wrong denomination. I could have, this could have saved so much time. My goodness. But when I look at it, that education that I got there, and it is foundational. It was important. It helped me to understand the, the very foundation of our faith and what we believe. I, I didn't just study Scripture. I studied what other people said about Scripture, what other people said about what other people said about Scripture, and then so on and such forth. I learned Greek and Hebrew, and all these things mean that we are a very well-educated denomination. But there's a drawback to that. See, it means that we tend to lean towards things that can be researched, we tend to think of our God as something that can be analyzed and understood. We tend to think of our God as one that can be uh, studied and translated when the reality is that's not the Holy Spirit. Right? You can look and say, well, this is what Jesus said. This is historical evidence that he lived. This is where he was. You can study the geography of the area. This is the context of this scripture. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit who continues to work, we're like, oh, we can't really wrap our minds around that one. He, I really even shouldn't use the pronoun he. The Holy Spirit is a mystery and continues to do mysterious things things. Even when you look at how the scripture describes the Holy Spirit, it says, like a dove, not an actual dove. We often depict him, you know, in our vestment things as a dove, but really like a dove, similar to a dove. There were the tongues of fire at Pentecost. Like, what does that mean? They're just fire floating in the air? How do you explain that? Like a wind, like even that feeling of peace. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's hard for us to comprehend what's happening. And yet, the Holy Spirit is no less God. See, the issue with the Holy Spirit, I think, for many of us, is the Holy Spirit's dangerous. Kind of scary. Because the Holy Spirit asks dangerous questions. Like, what do you actually believe? Not what do you know. Not what do you intellectually comprehend or memorize back in confirmation class or studied in your devotion. No, what do you believe? Because remember, even the demons intellectually acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. What do you believe? And then he puts things on your heart and basically asks the question, what are you doing about that? With that passion that you have, that problem that you see in the world, that, that hurt that you see in the people around you, what are you doing about that? And you hear that question, you're like, I don't know, can I go back to studying Greek and Hebrew? That was a lot easier than this. And the Holy Spirit asks questions like, why are you not loving the way that God taught you to love? And you hear those questions and it's scary because those are dangerous questions that shake us to our very core. The Holy Spirit can't be taken out of context and made to fit our wants and our own personal bias. The Holy Spirit cannot be controlled. And yet, when we speak of God with us, 
That's the Holy Spirit. In our modern age, when we say, like, God is with you no matter what, that's the Holy Spirit. That means that when you're sitting in that cold and sterile room, sitting on that crinkly paper, waiting for the doctor to come back with the results, the Holy Spirit's with you. That means when you finally picked up the phone to call that person that you haven't talked to in so long, and it's ringing, and you hear them say hello, and you realize the last time you talked, it ended by screaming at each other. In that moment, the Holy Spirit is with you. It means as you sit and take in the world, as you lay in bed and you look at the ceiling and you hear your spouse sleeping next to you and you're running through the to-do list, you're running through the problems and the stresses, you're, you're thinking about the bills that are sitting down on the kitchen table and you're thinking about your bank account that doesn't have enough in it, the Holy Spirit is with you. It means as you go through the struggles of this world, the sorrows of this world, as we saw in that Revelation reading, before this world passes away, before we leave behind the brokenness of this place that we're in now, the Holy Spirit is with you. It means when you go get a haircut on Saturday and the barber asks a simple question, oh, any big plans tomorrow? And you feel yourself starting to say, I'm going to church. And you realize, I'm about to share my faith for the first time. And your heart is pounding and your mind is racing. The Holy Spirit is with you. So we can struggle with understanding the Holy Spirit. But man, maybe the Holy Spirit isn't meant to be understood. We can struggle with trying to control the Holy Spirit. But he certainly isn't meant to be controlled. The Holy Spirit is powerful is in this place right now, inspiring each and every one of you to not just have your faith here. It's not about this, this hour and five minutes that we have in this service. Your faith is about the whole week, about your whole life, about sharing the hope that you have and clinging on to that hope because this world is full of pain. As you wander in the proverbial wilderness, of the brokenness of this world. I, I heard a, uh, a preacher, let me pull up her name here, Lisa Harper. Um, she shared this, and she said, sometimes the best gifts are on the other side of a river of tears. As you wander through the wilderness and you encounter those rivers and those ravines and those storms and those clouds and those obstacles, the Holy Spirit will guide you through it will give you the strength and inspire you to keep going and to take another step, to not give up, to not say, I can't do this, because we know that, yes, we cannot, but God can. We have revelation that shows us the new creation that is yet to come free from all of that, given to us through Jesus Christ, through God the Son, through his sacrifice, and then that faith that's inspired to us by the Holy Spirit. So, this is all well and good, but what does it mean for you? As you go out this week, as you encounter the difficulties of this world, the pain and the sorrow, maybe you're even, it's on your mind and just weighing you down right now and you, you feel that anxiety and that depression setting in, I pray that the Holy Spirit can lift you up and get you through, can inspire you to take another step, to keep going, knowing that he is with you, that God will never leave you or forsake you. As you go this week, share that hope because there's so many who are hurting and lost and hopeless and they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear that their God knows them and loves them. This week, 
as you go, as we go, let's leave room for the Holy Spirit. Amen?